Welcome to NFT Tales, our podcast to talk about our adventures in NFT land and current events in the NFT world. My name is Jeremy Craig. And I'm Jonathan Smith. This is episode six of the podcast titled The Crypto Conversation. As the name implies, today we're going to take a talk and walk through the cryptocurrency market in general. And then we'll circle back to talk about the current NFT news to start off the new year. You know, Jeremy, I kind of asked for us to be able to talk about some crypto some because a lot of my family wasn't even connecting the dots that NFTs were a part of crypto. I think, you know, it's a new term. The crypto space is really unfamiliar for people. A lot of people are stepping into the NFT world and the crypto world simultaneously. So let's get some learning out. Let's get some conversations going about some general crypto. And then I'm really excited about it. At the end of the episode, I've got a story of my cryptodes. Uh, so my, probably my most NFT I'm most proud of at the moment is my cryptodes by Gremlin. I honestly, out of everything in my wallet, I really think that crypto is the closest thing I have that, to art. But first off, Jeremy, let's talk a little bit about crypto. Let's get into it. Hey, yo, let's go. Okay, Jeremy, you know, you've had a really interesting experience with this whole thing because you got into NFTs and then you kind of got into crypto afterwards. I tried to get you into crypto before NFTs, and I know you did some flipping and stuff prior to with some Dogecoin, but really it was NFTs that got you into crypto. So from your point of view, what is the kind of the minimum that people need to know about crypto if they want to be investing and dealing in NFTs? You know, it's a really good question. Um, I asked quite a few people over this holiday break and... Um, all the gatherings, if they knew what NFTs were. And the resounding answer by my family, at least, or my in-laws was no. Uh, but then when I asked them if they knew what crypto is, they said, yes, of course. Right. So, that's something that's like more common, more understanding, especially throw out like Bitcoin. A lot of people, almost everyone's heard of Bitcoin at this point. Exactly. So I said, well, you know, NFTs and crypto are, are kind of hand in hand. You know, the NFTs are the, the artistic version of it, but most of them are all represented by some coin or token or, or have some sort of tokenomics to them. And of course, that was probably more for them to chew on it at one time than I should have unveiled. But I definitely think you need to understand the difference between, you know, your stable coins and your altcoins because um, you can get burned quick. I know you tried to get me in early and, and only into stable coins and I didn't pay attention to much of any of that. Yeah. So, you know, uh, actually, let's clean up some definitions here. Let's, let's try to be exacting. So there's a couple different type whenever you're looking at the crypto market. There is a lot of different opinions on this. We're talking about emerging technology here. But one thing that's very clear, just looking at what, where market value is and where most of the mindset is, there's Bitcoin and everything else. There's Bitcoin, Ethereum and everything else. And that and that's a big one, too. I really think Ethereum has gotten that distinction as the silver to the Bitcoin's gold. Bitcoin is still the leader by far. Um, but Ethereum is starting to get that institutional pull up. So those two are out there in that that early space. I think I read somewhere recently that the amount of Bitcoin wrapped up on Ethereum is equal to the next six coins in market cap or something crazy like that. And so th there's just so far and away those two and then the rest of the market. So you're talking about the, the gold and silver standard, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and then everything else. 
But not everything else is the same risk factor, has the same capabilities, has the same abilities, and not all of them are doing the same thing. So there's people that talk about altcoins. Those are usually coins that are backed by big projects. They have a lot of people putting into them, but they're not one of these big two. Um, you have people that talk about, quote unquote, shit coins. Mm-hmm. Those are coins uh, that, you know, Jeremy's talked about before that are basically just flip machines, pump and dumps. They're meant to go around like a meme or a concept. And people mostly traded them in like a get rich quick type thing. You have stable coins. These are these are crypto that was invented for for DeFi. And we'll talk about that in a bit that were designed to be pegged to a real world currency. A lot of most of them are pegged to a dollar. So you have something like. I don't know, Tether, even though I don't like Tether. Uh, Or you have, you know, there's a couple different ones nowadays. And they are all tied to a dollar. You can trade your crypto for one of these stable coins and be sure that, like, the volatility you have to deal with with any cryptocurrency pricing, but Bitcoin, Ethereum, altcoins, you don't have to deal with it with the stable coin because if you trade, you know, Ethereum for this many stable coin, those will be worth that much in dollars the very next day. At least that's the theory. I do think the company backing the major stable coins is a, pyramid scheme ready to collapse but oh, overall yeah. the theory is that there's a separation there and so not not, not to cut you off jerry I, mean, I just want us to be kind of exacting when we're talking about crypto because one thing that i know people are really looking to do to learn in this space is maybe you did come in from OpenSea or something no reason you can't pick up some knowledge about the crypto market in general let's talk about bitcoin jeremy this is bitcoin and nfts don't intersect much Mm-hmm. Right. There's all those rare papers and we can talk about maybe that at one point. Actually, I'm kind of putting together in a little narrative the story of the first NFTs as like a history lesson that we're going to do one day. And I'm definitely talk about some of those early Bitcoin NFTs. But realistically, Bitcoin without add ons basically does not support the technology needed to support NFTs. Bitcoin only has the technology to do transactions within itself. How do you explain Bitcoin to people, Jeremy? I don't know that I do, honestly. Most people assume they know what Bitcoin is. So if I say you've heard of Bitcoin, they say yes. <laughs> yeah, you just say everyone plays along, right? No one wants to be the idiot in the room. I do have people that will ask me, like, what's blockchain? Which might as well be asking what's Bitcoin, right? Yeah, I mean, when you get that generic, it's it's uh, it's questionable. But I, I typically don't get into the Bitcoin aspect of it. And for NFTs, it, it makes sense because there's really not a way for us to buy Bitcoin NFTs. You know, there again, there is a market there. There's actually a lot of value there nowadays, but it's it's not it's not where most people are going for the NFT experience. Let's just put it that way. And, you know, but but Bitcoin matters because a lot of the whole crypto market is based on the back of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of these Bitcoiners that people that are really into Bitcoin that talk about it being a replacement currency or, you know, one day being the world currency or something like that. But in my opinion, a lot of the, the utility and the focus of Bitcoin is how much it is in dollars and how what it kind of a speculative asset it, it is, right? And so I feel like it being a currency is something is a, is a use case that hasn't really worked out. But from their point of view, that's kind of where the crypto space ends, right? But we've seen that extension since then. And NFTs are a transactional model, but they're not like a Bitcoin, right? And so that's where you get into the whole fungible, non-fungible thing. If people don't know what Bitcoin is, I'll just tell you my quick explanation. It's like a, it's a, 
a spreadsheet that people can add to that you can trust people who you don't know to add to it and you still feel like you won't get screwed over. Um, it's the, not a, a great explanation. Yeah, yeah, a ledger spreadsheet, right? Uh, uh, yeah, it's not a great explanation. You can pick holes in my little explanation there, but it's my kind of way of kind of getting to that common thing. It's all about that trustless part where with Bitcoin, everyone trusts that I send you a Bitcoin and you're not going to get screwed because you feel like the network's reliable and all that. So that's what we're relying on here. All crypto technology, all NFTs are relying on that base blockchain magic, so to speak, to make it so I know I won't get screwed. If something gets transferred to my wallet and FT gets sent over, it's mine, period, right? And I think that that's something that is kind of where that tie gets lost for a lot of people. They don't see that you're buying something that's not like Nike says you own that. It's not like Nintendo says you own that. It's not like Google says you own it. And for a lot of people, that's enough. You know, Apple says I own Batman's uh, animated series on iTunes, then I'm not worried about how, am I going to own it for 30 years or something like that? A lot of people just move beyond in that digital space and trust the whoever provided them the content, you know? But yep. with the blockchain, you don't have to do that because there's regular people that are on that Bitcoin network, on the Ethereum network, and some of the other networks that are doing these transactions. And they're all kind of, it's almost like a standoff. They all have the guns pointed at each other and no one screws each other because these mechanisms that make it so that the network punishes those that try to do. And it's been working for 10 years now. It's a concept that's obviously proven itself out, which is why there's so much value in the space. And I forgot where we're going. I'm sorry, but this is kind of the random conversation I want to have about crypto in general. So this is great. Go ahead and jump in, Jay. I'm sorry. Perfect. No, you're good. So circling back and looking, you know, trying to differentiate between what a stable coin, altcoin, and even a shit coin would be. I don't know if y'all all heard about the senator naming uh, crypto's biggest enemy of itself and mongoose. Mongoose is definitely a shit coin. Meme coin all the way, no no value to it other than a senator said it in something that went viral in tweets and, and TikToks. I mean, I would outright say Dogecoin is a meme coin, and everyone's heard of yeah. that, right? It only got famous because it's, I mean, it's got a big enough market cap, you hate to call it this, but it's kind of the king shit coin in a way, right? Like, it's the one that survived more than the rest. And you see other ones like Shibu that are coming up and being like the next gen or whatever of the same concept, right? And what's the value there, everyone asks? It's because it's the meme is so powerful that people want a piece of it, right? And mm-hmm. then that's this weird mind space that... A lot of people that are so used to the physical world aren't used to the online world. They're like, but wait, it's just a picture of the dog. It's like people have this like tie to this dog and you own a little coin. You know, like you feel a little bit of the dog. Also, at this point, something like Dogecoin can be a replacement currency, just like Bitcoin at that same level, right? Can do the same transactional network. And so that's one thing I want to get into, Jaren. You've heard me do my speech before, and I'm sorry about this, but I feel like we got to go there. It's what I call the generations of cryptocurrency. So I call Bitcoin generation one of cryptocurrency. At that generation, what it was all about was proving that there was a transactional layer, that you could have this blockchain, you could have this ledger with people you don't trust on it, and that y'all could trade back and forth a currency where all the units are the same. So we call that a fungible currency because every Bitcoin, whether it was the first one mined or the millionth one mined or the 10 millionth one mined, whatever, are all worth the same. It's pure transactions within the network of the 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 coin so to speak that is generated through the network by the network then and, and that's it there's no other layers to it um, there's none of that there is like this whole thing called bitcoin lightning which is kind of another layer to it but that's not where the bitcoin spec is it was an add-on uh, the people behind Bitcoin are pretty conservative because it's worth so much money. So they don't really want to change it that much. It's kind of ossified into a certain state where that's all it'll do. And it is that Gen 1 can do transactions and that's all. And that's where we kind of started. And then there's Generation 2. Uh, and so if you're going to go talking about altcoin shitcoins, you've got to get into this because at the Generation 2 of cryptocurrency, which I really think begins with Ethereum, 
I mean, might, there might be other examples before this, but I think that's where this really played out and where that value is shown it's played out is the idea of having a cryptocurrency that use that ledger, not just to make transactions within that cryptocurrency, but also to be able to execute code that you can trust will be executed no matter what, pretty much. And that then all these creative, inventive things can happen in a digital space because there's basically then this world computer is what it's often called that no one can stop, feds can't rate, whatever it is, that will always execute this code if you pay the gas, which is the cost to execute the code. So a Bitcoin layer one currencies, there's a transaction cost to do the transactions, which everyone understands. You ever wired money or something or a visa swipe or something, you know you're paying for it. With level two, uh, second gen, cryptocurrencies, you pay a gas fee in that cryptocurrency to execute the code. The more resources that your code, your what they call a smart contract, wants to use it to execute, the more gas you're going to pay to the network. And so there's all these people, there's these genius people, programmers, that are writing programs that run on Ethereum and other cryptocurrencies like it, other second-gen cryptocurrencies, and then they're able to do things with this like wrap Bitcoin. That is a smart contract. That smart contract someone's created to do this execution and to, to go and leave a marker on Bitcoin's blockchain and all this and to be able to have a way to unwrap it. That's another, That's part of that smart contract that you'd have to pay gas to execute and all that. And so that is the that is a concept of what you can do with the second layer, uh, second generation cryptocurrency. And what we've seen since that concept has come out is that everyone either wants to copy it or they are building on top of it. So when Bitcoin came out, the, the altcoin concept is actually older than Ethereum. Originally, altcoins were talking about anything that wasn't Bitcoin that was doing that transactional thing. And early on, everyone just wanted to beat Bitcoin at their own game. They thought it was a technology play more than it was a stability play. And a lot of these cryptocurrency players put a lot of effort into having a Bitcoin, but faster transactions or a Bitcoin but a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but it's always about transactions. It was always about, about making them go faster, making more of them happen. What's the overall transaction speed? And for the most part, most of those didn't make. The biggest transactional cryptocurrency I know of other than Bitcoin's Dogecoin that made it there of the meme and of the emotional attachment to the meme and not the technology. So we mm -hmm. learned quickly in the crypto space that the technology doesn't matter. It's about people trusting that network to continue to execute the code to do what they need, right? Mm -hmm. So in the second gen, you have all these cryptocurrencies that are competing for the space that offer different technologies to run these different smart contracts, but you execute on those cryptocurrency networks. And then depending on, you know, what, uh, you know, the, what, how well done a good of job you've done creating that smart contract is how then things will work out. And one thing I'm going to let you jump in now, Jared, one thing that, uh, sorry, I've been a little, little monologue, but you've heard it before. You knew it was coming. You knew how to do the gen thing. One thing you've seen about second gen cryptocurrency, those smart contracts is that they get hacked, right? I mean, you, you've heard of people where the contract gets hacked, mints gets out, like talk about that sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, whether it was, you know, the sevens minting and someone going in and getting 11% of the mint because the smart contract wasn't there. I, I was going to kind of reiterate on what you said, that there's a lot of really intelligent people doing this. I know that, you know, the Llamaverse developers have found a way to rewrite the code like four or five different times to where the actual gas fee is negligent. And I know that different developers have said, you know, they could have done this or changed this and it would have cost less gas. So it it is becoming even, you know, better coding right now on those, you know, secondary chains where you can get away with it for less and less gas each and every time. Uh, yeah, right. And, and, that, and so 
Well, part of it is too. You you have to trust what that that world computer is going to do, right? Like you wouldn't want to execute code on a world computer that's just in like you know the CIA's office or something like that. Um, and they go, you know what? We, we're not taking that code. We're not doing that one or whatever, right? Like they're auditing it or something like that. Like that would disprove the whole point of the cryptocurrency thing. So to be like Bitcoin, where it can't be stopped, where the transaction just go through, you have to really trust that these smart contracts are actually going to work. That's why Ethereum is the silver standard. It kind of stands out from the other ones like it because it's been running for a long time now. It has a lot of the most development resources behind it. It has the most value locked up in it. Last I looked, it has like 160-ish billion dollars locked up in it, um, in these smart contracts, in these different things that are built on smart contracts. While any of its other competitors at that level that I would call Gen 2 cryptocurrency that tries to execute smart contracts, the biggest I've seen is somewhere around 16, 20, something like that. So it's a big gap between them and the rest. There's like five at around 20 or something like that. And then there's a big jump to Ethereum. So right now in that Gen 2 space, just like there's a lot of things like Bitcoin, but there's Bitcoin and then uh, there's Ethereum and kind of mm, in that Gen 2 space. And then what I define as Gen 3 is the things that are built on Gen 2 cryptocurrency. So NFTs, that's a Gen 3 cryptocurrency in my opinion. Or you're talking about like, we talked about virtual land in an earlier episode. That's a Gen 3 product that needs a Gen 2 cryptocurrency and the security of its chain, the setup of it. It needs that layer to exist for it to exist. Actually, overall, Jeremy, um, that's probably the, the rant. That is the kind of the speech on crypto. I don't, this is the NFT podcast, the Generation 3 crypto podcast, right? So yep. let's go ahead and take a break. And then you, you bring us into some current events that's happening in the crypto world, okay? Gen 4. Let's get into it. Let's talk about some of your favorite current events in the NFT world right now. Oh, man, there's been so many good ones lately. Um, ironically, I got a notification while we were recording this that ArtCheck got followed by the IRS. So that was pretty laughable. That's already starting to go viral and be retweeted. Wow. Uh, apparently, the IRS website actually retweeted or responded to her tweet and said, we do not collect data from your posts or something, basically saying that they weren't following her to follow to, to pick up information. But that was quite interesting. Um, Plovatars have sold out of their initial packs. Um, let's see what else is going on. Yeah, news. we both got a couple of those things for uh, breaking that off for me. That was cool. That was a lot of fun. The, the, the pack style. I love how the flow blockchain has all these pack concepts, right? Um, and so you get that kind of real baseball card feel. And it's not the mint because you have a couple shots within the mint, so to speak, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, I definitely like the packs. Like you said, that's the nostalgia of it. I mean, everybody talks about ripping packs and did you save your packs? And I'm like, I don't know how y'all save a pack. Like... Maybe if I was giving one away on, you know, our podcast and I had to have one, I'd save it. But otherwise, it's it's buy and rip. Well, you know, I will say that is one nice thing about the pack is with the mint, they reveal and you like you're revealed, you know, as soon as you refresh open, say you can't say no, don't reveal mine for a month. But with the pack, you could sit on it, which is a cool differentiator for things that use packs in this space. Right. For projects that use packs. So I'm all about that. Um, I know you've been having trouble just getting flow, though, to get it going, though. Right. Like that's been the hardest back and forth for you for dealing with any of that stuff. You know, it really was. I finally figured out a pretty flawless way to do it, but it took quite a bit of troubleshooting. Um, they made it up by giving away as many Flowfest packs as they did over the holiday. I think I won three and actually four and had to give you one because I couldn't open that pack. So 
Um, current event news, you know, obviously that Christmas time, I got two airdrops. We both got those SOS tokens. And Ooh, then yeah, that was great. UCD you, tokens. Oh yeah. Yeah. Thank- UCD. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, the unicorn project for giving us an opportunity for everyone to do a breed by giving us enough to be able to do that, that, that project once again, proven yet again, you know, the right way to do things. Any of y'all out there want to do a white paper, make sure you read that white paper. That's one of the best ones I've ever read. Um, but yeah, I was super excited to see that the SOS though. Oh my gosh. That was so nice to, in a way it was nice to, to kind of get that, but also, it, you know, it's just kind of crazy how many of these airdrops that are tied to these arbitrary things makes you want to get into stuff early because you never know if someone's going to come back along and airdrop that group, right? It adds that extra layer to being an early adopter that it's kind of really makes the space exciting, you know, just to get some free money for Christmas. So. Oh, yeah. Be a, a true maverick. I mean, uh, I know when I first got into WGMI, I didn't know what CalSwap was. And VB told me to go check it out. And then he said there may even be a chance that they do a drop in the future for any transactions you do. I know that Uniswap said the same thing. Dex Tools. Everyone's joking that says MetaMask might do it, but none of us really ever use that for swaps. So we'd all get like $16. But um I actually swapped something once. Woohoo, You know, but oh, I can't. I'll never forget you getting the ENS drop. And I uh, almost got that Mooncat ENS. I was so close. And they actually were nice. Speaking of good project, they actually got all the tokens and they went back and distributed them. So yes. whew, that's pretty great. That's pretty great. Uh, what else going on in the NFT world, Jer? Uh, you know, it seems like we're starting to get another bull run. I know that your cryptodes uh, did really well. I know the pixelated movement is still just kicking. My yeah, Ballers has a pretty good floor. Last I looked, it was like thirteen hundred or something. So we we don't like floor convo, but that is very interesting for an NBA um, account avatar to be worth so much. I got to say that for that for that real world space for people, like I'm kind of amazed that they've been able to keep that value. So um, it's all about does the project have a group and a community that's willing to invest and come back around. You know, one thing I love about the cryptodes is that there was the original story and they were just going to leave it at that. The art is the art, you know, but so many people are passionate about the project that they did come back around into it. In fact, um, there's been a little bit of addition to the narrative that I made sure to pull into the story that we have in just a little bit in the episode. So um, that's definitely one of my favorite projects. Let's talk about one of your favorite projects. What's going on with the dads? Oh, man, the dads got their energy drink fully sent out. Um, They're currently doing a Christmas Santa raffle where all of the proceeds are going to um, a charitable cause. I've drawn a blank right now, but it's on their website and Discord. Um, They've got the moms are out full scale. Oh, WGMI Racing is kind of my newest hot take. I know I I tag you on it weekly, but they do races every week, um, free to enter, and they give away an NFT every single week. So it's it's basically a lottery. There's been about 150 people entering two races, and the top two people get NFTs. They've given away Epic Eagles, Space Boys. Um, They gave away a Crypto Dad and a Crypto Mom, which was awesome. Um, They're doing a Diamond Dog this week, which is Evan Mendoza's series. Hey, there you go. So that, you know, there you go. Get in to it, people. Be following uh, Jeremy on Twitter. That's how he always has the the hot leads. He, he's much more active than me. So make sure you're following him on Twitter. Um, and one last thing I want to kind of jump in on the, the NFT space is how it, it's been, you guys, we're going into next year. There's a lot of people that are getting gearing up and saying that once we get past tax season, especially once we get into tax refund season, we might see a real uptick in the NFT space. You know, earlier this year, 
there was a little lull in January, December, and then the real first bull run of NFTs uh, kind of happened in that February, March time frame. You know, that's when it was and everything else. Right. So I'm really excited to see what happens whenever we turn around on the year. I think mo- me and you are kind of sitting in some projects that we're hoping to see will we'll turn around big time, given all that extra thing. And, you know, that plus the Coinbase uh, uh, on the horizon really means that I think 2022 is going to be a great year for NFTs. So I hope everyone has a happy new year. And I hope uh, bringing in the next new year, we have a lot of excitement in the space. We have new projects, new people coming in. And if you're one of those new people and you've been catching up with us and you're listening to the episode, we appreciate you very much. Be looking for us in future weeks as we talk through the uh, current events and other topics in NFTs. Um, I, I, I think now, Jeremy, we need to pivot into my story. It's kind of a longer story than usual. So yep. we're going to take a break and then I'm going to read my story about my crypto. Whew. Heck yeah, Grimplin, here we come. Charles the Toad wasn't famous. Charles wasn't special. He was just another toad living in the land of toads, going to school, living his life, doing what most young toads did. But he wasn't special. He wasn't the most popular. He wasn't the first one picked at recess. He wasn't the one people would go to whenever they needed advice. I mean, everyone liked him, but the problem was his identity was never his. It was always tied to a more famous frog he happened to look like. You see, the entire time Charles has been alive, one media franchise dominated first the bookstore and then the box office, the Harry Frogger series. The first book was published the year after Charles was born. And by the time the first movie came out, he happened to be the same age as the young Toad who was the hero of the series. In the first movie, Harry Frogger, along with a coalition of other students who got way less credit, heroically freed 6,969 cryptodes in a movie world raid on Gremplin that was a blockbuster success that, and made more money than any Hollylog movie had ever made before. Suddenly, Harry inserted himself into the cultural zeitgeist and would define Charles' childhood as he became the face of a multi-billion dollar franchise. But Charles hated the Harry Frogger series, and for good reason. He looked so much like that famous young toad down the black glasses that both of them wore, that every single classmate who grew up with Harry and his heroics defined who Charles was in comparison, i.e. not a hero. He was just a toad that happened to look like a hero. And every other year since that first blockbuster movie came out that showed the improbable tale of Harry battling the evil King Greplin, new movies came about about him battling his forces or some new level of evil that no adult frog, of course, in the movie world could deal with and that only Harry could overcome. As Harry Frogger grew up on the screen, he defined Charles's real life experience of growing up without and Charles did not have any choice over it. Everyone who met Charles would always ask, you know, you look a lot like Harry Frogger. You must love those movies, huh? And much to Charles' chagrin, he soon learned the only acceptable answer was yes. Because if he said, no, I think those movies are dumb. How can a kid battle an evil king? He never really got the positive response he was thinking from the person who asked the question. Because how could he not like Harry Frogger? Everyone else did. So eventually, Charles learned to just lie and say yes. Then the awkward conversation would always end, and Charles could slink back into the shadows. 
You see, Charles' real passion was Toad Blocks, an online game where he could build his own pixelated world where the stupid Harry Frogger didn't even exist. Where stupid Harry Frogger merchandise didn't exist, or the Toad Flicks cartoon spinoff didn't exist, or that Frog Lando theme park didn't exist, no. In Charles's world, he made the rules, and he was pretty good at it, frankly. Many other Toad Blocks players liked to play the content Charles would create, and he had a bit of a following online through an anonymous profile he set up just to share his creations. But he learned the hard way that he had to stay hidden even online. Because the few t- times he thought he found real friends in the Toad Blocks community, the moment he would chat with a camera turned on, all the hard work was flushed away, and the old questions about liking Harry Frogger would come out of the speakers. Yet, most of the Toads in the Toad Blocks community were pretty happy just being friends with him on the Discord chat without ever seeing his face. And that was enough for Charles. He was vibing. They were his people, and he loved making worlds for them to play in. Everything else in life was just a distraction, he thought. Well... That was until Charlotte came along at the start of his seventh year in school. Her parents moved to grab one of the jobs offered by the new Lilypad Superhighway construction project in town. And the moment he saw her walk in the classroom, he suddenly felt an urge to want to be social that he never really felt before. Years of being a recluse meant that he was a hard thing to do. And he really could never build up the courage he needed to finally get to talk to her. Finally, around Halloween, he was put in a class project with her and two of the frogs. And via this project, he got to introduce himself and kind of get on her radar. But he was too nervous to take the conversation beyond that initial introduction. And despite being a a group project, the work divided neatly into force, and soon the Toads just worked out the split, and they barely interacted again. His opportunity was lost. In despair, he reached out to his Toad Blocks friends on Discord and asked them for their advice. One of them pointed out that coming back from Christmas break was a great conversation starter because Charles could always just ask what she did with her family instead of the usual small talk of the weather, you know? So the first day back from Christmas, Charles walked up to her and got the nerve to ask Charlotte how her break went. She replied it was great because her family all went to the theater to see the new Harry Frogger movie made for that Christmas season. In this movie, the freed 6,969 cryptodes who had been in hiding meticulously planned a rescue of Harry Frogger's uncle, Colonel Florbin and the remaining toads that were still not free. Charlotte told Charles how much she loved the climax of the movie, where the freed toads surprised the evil Kring Greplin with a Christmas attack on his Greplin, and how under the leadership of Harry Frogger they saved the day, or how Greplin only barely escaped Harry Frogger's grasp after an absolutely riveting CGI duel on the roof of Greplin's mansion. But then the dreaded question came. I'm sure you saw it, though. Right, Charles? I mean, first day it came out. I, you know, I assume that you look so much like Harry that you have to be a huge fan of the movies. Yep, Charles lied again. I'm a huge fan. Then she proceeded to tell him about why she liked the movie series herself and her favorite parts of the books as well, which were always better than the movies, of course. Eventually the bell rang and Charles was saved from revealing his own lack of knowledge regarding the series. But the rest of the day he felt a knot in his stomach as he realized his best chance to finally be friends with Charlotte was to actually have knowledge about the series that he'd gone out of his way to avoid his entire life. So that night, instead of playing Toad Blocks, he got on Toadopedia and read everything he could about Harry Frogger, which was a lot. Then he started reading the fan site Gremplopedia that was specific to the series, and it got to the point where he felt he knew the plots of the movies fairly well. He was staying up late doing all this reading, and the whole time his Toad Blocks buddies were DMing, asking where he was. 
He woke up the next day tired but determined. He finally had a reason to talk to Charlotte again. During lunch, Charles went to Charlotte and tried to pick up the conversation where they left off. He pretended to have seen the movies and tried to list his favorite parts of the series. Yet the wiki page approach failed him when he confused the plot of the fourth movie with the plot of the third, and the conversation had an awkward pause as Charlotte corrected him about which movie had the quest for socks and which movie was all about how Harry defeated the evil fly spirit that Gremplin had summoned. Luckily, the bell saved Charles again before the awkward moment had lingered, and he went into that weekend determined to finally see all the damn Harry Frogger movies, so that never happened again. And so he did. Much to his parents' surprise, he used his Christmas money to buy digital versions of the movies on Frogazon. He watched them all end-to-end in a two-day binge session, carefully taking notes along the way. Through all of this, his real opinion on the series never wavered, though. I mean... Why didn't they figure out in those movies that the whole world seemed to pivot around this young frog? I mean, where were all the adults in this thing? Maybe it was worth uh, keeping a closer eye on him, huh? How did the young frog always seem to always find that one thing that could defeat Gremplin or foil his plans just moments before the damage of the evil king couldn't be undone? It was just ridiculous to Charles, but he put his head down and got through. He was going to be ready for his next conversation with Charlotte, even if that meant embracing this thing that he really hated. Meanwhile, all of his Tollbach friends just stopped DMing him on Discord and assumed he was dead. Uh, they, they just moved on. Unfortunately for Charles, his preparation was in vain, as Charlotte was out sick all the next week. Seeing an imp- opportunity to dig deeper, Charles spent every night that week and the whole weekend after reading the Harry Frogger books while playing the online Harry Frogger game. He became an expert in the famous toad he always hated, and not only was he ready to talk about Harry Frogger with Charlotte, but he had bullet points in his head of his favorite small parts of the books and movies that only true fans of the series could actually really understand. He had played out the conversation with her in his head so many times that it started to become dreams, part of his dreams at night. He would be the one attacking Gremplin's underground base on Christmas, using the power of the previously unknown mistletoes. And then he would wake up, boring old Charles, not special in his bed. He had immersed himself so deeply in the lie that his own lines were blurring. And by Monday morning, he was so ready to prove his Harry Frogger fandom to Charlotte and befriend her, so that way he could go back to his boring life making Toad Blocks creations again. He'd never been more ready for anything, in fact. Then Monday lunchtime came, and there was Charlotte alone at her table. Charles walked up and began to go through the talking points he'd practiced in his head so many times. He explained how he confused the movies because the movies themselves had mixed up parts of the books. And then he went through the entire list of the parts of the movies that weren't quite the same as the books that only a true fan would know. Halfway through this rant he'd rehearsed, he noticed that not only was Charlotte not excited about his awesome Harry Frogger knowledge, but she looked outright sad despite humoring Charles with responses. He would ask her token questions and he was working through his list, but she was obviously not into it. Eventually, he broke off from his prepared conversation and asked a question he never thought to ask in the many different times he played this out in his head. Hey, Charlotte. You don't look so good. Are you still feeling sick? No, she responded. I'm feeling okay now. Thanks for asking. I do have to admit I feel a little lost when it comes to all this Harry Frogger stuff you're telling me. I mean, you're obviously a bigger fan than me. Makes sense. And frankly, it's been a couple years since I read the book, so I'm not 100% following you. And You know, it's more my brother's thing. That's why we always see the movies as a family. Actually, really, nowadays, my favorite thing, Charlotte continued, is this game called Toad Blocks. I don't know if you've heard of it before, but 
In the game, players can make their own virtual worlds, and I just love exploring the worlds other people make. The reason I'm sad is because last week, while I was sick, I wanted to play some new content from my favorite Toadblocks creator, who's pretty much usually always making something great. And when I asked the Discord community last night wasn't why there wasn't a new upload from this creator in over a week, they all say they assume that particular creator had died because he hasn't been online in Discord for that amount of time since the game launched. You know, I always wanted to meet the toad behind those Toadblocks worlds, and now I never will, so I guess I'm sad today. But you obviously don't care about that. Harry Frog is your thing, right? Uh, wait, is that a bell I hear? Okay, gotta run. Talk to you later, Charles. The end. For now. This story is based off uh, Cryptodes from the Cryptodes by Gremlin Project. Thank you very much for your time today. Oh, John, that was a good one. That was a good one. I was glad to hear that. Thank you, Jeremy. I was very happy about that. Well, that's all the time we have for today, folks. Follow me on Twitter at PoofyHairGuy or go to our project website, nfttales.io, where I actually write the stories out and you'll find other information about us. Uh, you tell them where to find you, Jer. I went ahead and changed things up and my new Twitter handle is at Mr. Jerk Dake. Uh, all my Discord and everything else had the Mr. in front of it. So now it's Mr. Jerk Dake. Uh, but you nice. can find me there. Well, thank you all very much, and y'all have a happy new year. See you in 2022. Bye, y'all.